0: So, Due Diligence, as always, is brought to you by Media Inc., my production company, video production. Any of your video production needs, give us a call at Media. And Eric, uh,
1: go ahead and tell us about... uh... The Dude About Town, which is architecture, photography, and Heights Clothing Company, which is, in my opinion, some of the best Heights and Shaker spirit where you're going to find. And uh, both of them will be at the Shaker Square Farmer's Market uh, for six weeks in a row on Saturdays, beginning April 24th, 8 a.m. to noon.
2: In Cleveland Heights, the question for residents is a matter of change. Signs lining the lawns, urging the more than 32,000 voters in the city to either vote to keep or change the way they've governed themselves for 98 years.
0: And let the chips fall where they may in November. Let the voters decide what's in the best interests of our city. Citizens for Good Government has conceded this election. We all care about this great city that we call home. We all want it to be better. The citizens of Cleveland Heights will have a say over who they want to be the mayor. Jonathan Foreman, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, uh, this one's a little bit personal for me. Uh, you know, I, you're, Cedar Lee was a big part of my my, uh, my youth in the late 80s and early 90s. I uh, spent a lot of time with my mom going to see movies like Barton Fink and Brazil and uh, Princess Mononoke and, and the crying game. I think I still remember being shocked sitting in your theater, watching the crying game.
2: Um, well, don't, don't, please don't say it like it's an obit or a eulogy here because <laughs> while we're suffering along with m- most theaters, most, most picture theaters in this country, we do hope to come back when people are comfortable coming back and when um, there's a a, a a better supply of films, which has been our biggest problem. Lately. So, but I'm glad you went there, and I'm glad for all the years that you had uh, enjoying uh, good films. I hope that um, we can, you know, get you back.
0: Well, you'll have me back for sure. I, uh, I, the reason why I wanted to have you on though is because this podcast is about Cleveland Heights and the future of Cleveland Heights, and sure. you know, uh, the Cedarly Theater. Uh, is what 96 years old
2: yeah and something like that yeah <laughs> heights
0: is celebrating its hundredth year this year like right you know you've been intertwined with the fabric of cleveland heights um since the beginning really of the incorporation of this city right. and uh you know you've been in i think most would agree an incredible steward of that for the last 40 plus years yeah.
2: Correct. yeah and, you're but, correct thank you
0: yeah sure and um but as we look at the next 10 years moving forward, the future of the Cedar Lee is important to that, um, to that area of Cleveland Heights, right? Like they're talking about development right now in Cleveland Heights, uh, what, uh, of that area finally, right? And, and, and where in the past people would roll their eyes, when you look at Top of the Hill happening, you think maybe they will get something done at Cedar and Lee. So, you know, if you're going you're gonna to wrap something around Cedar Lee, we need that theater to still be there, right? So what are your thoughts on the developmental um, aspects of, of what's being discussed right now? Are you in touch with it?
2: Um, I'm actually not in touch with it. I only recently uh, became, well, let me back up. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, city of Cleveland Heights and they uh, had a council meeting where they um, entertained two different proposals regarding the development of that parcel, um, which I did make the effort to, uh, you know, view this whole thing online. And found both presentations very interesting. Um, and it's my understanding that there is now a, a council's making a recommendation, but the planning committee—I'm not sure who it is—but they, they 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 they've selected a developer they want to work with. I just have to back back up a little bit because this is, I think, the third attempt, maybe more, maybe I'm overcounting, to develop this parcel of land, um, and I'm not sure. Who's at fault here? If it's politics, or you know, developers who didn't couldn't get financing, or whatever it was. But um, listen, the Cedar—you were very kind to say what you did about the Cedar Lee. The Cedar Lee is an institution in that neighborhood. It's it actually has a, a national reputation as well as being, you know, a premier specialty theater. Blah blah blah. But now days that, that um, specialty. Uh, especially films show up in every neighborhood movie theater, as well as specialty theaters. It's no longer unique in the marketplace, but in terms of what it's done for the Cedar Lee business district, I think we have played and we hope to continue to play a vital role. I I don't want to be so bold or presumptuous to say that most of the restaurants that have chosen to uh, uh, establish themselves on Lee road, selected that location, because of CLA. however, I'm aware that many of them are the beneficiaries of the traffic that the theater uh, does bring, well, we used to bring. Um, and some like Dewey's Pizza were very upfront saying, we selected this location because we know you're bringing, you know, tens of thousands of people to the, to the district every month. Um, so yeah, anything that's going to go on in my backyard and Boss Dog as well, uh, we really should be uh, kept informed about this. For if if for no other reason because of the impact this is going to have on parking, which is a wonderful luxury to have uh, so much parking available for for customers, but if you take away 50% of the parking, um, that's a concern. There's already a shortage of parking in that whole district. Uh, we know that this, I believe Cleveland Heights knows that, but meanwhile, they're moving ahead with this development. But that's you know, those are among some of the concerns. The other concern is, um, you know what is what is this going to do to um, the other businesses on the on the road? I mean, we all think it's great to have another, you know, seventy-five or hundred families that might move into those uh, residential units that they're building because it's great for business. Um, but will they? Will the businesses that are going to go in there uh, take business away from those people on Lee Road who are already struggling? So we'll see. But I, yes, I'm concerned, and I, I'm not a stakeholder in the development, but I think. As somebody whose business will be impacted by this, I'd like a seat at the table.
0: Well, I, um, I would. I would hope that that you have a front row seat for sure. <laughs> um, so, as we think about the, the the development there on Lee Road, I mean, you've seen Lee and Meadowbrook that parcel in particular. I think uh, people have a lot of opinions about the which has been sort of left, They've put it through a few picnic tables there. It's sort of an unofficial place to sort of gather if you want, but like, even as a temporary space, couldn't the city be doing more with that space to sort of make it usable in the meantime, at least?
2: Well, I would like to think so. And I'm sure that if you were to speak with someone at city hall, they'd say, we'd love to do it, but we don't have the the financial resources because that's that's all I keep hearing from the city, but we, you know, we're cutting back, cutting back, you know, we, we, we up until recently paid a pretty significant admission tax to the city as, as does any entertainment business, bowling alleys, movie theaters, ice skating rink. Um, so I feel like I'm, I, I, they could take some of the money that the theater has generated over the last 40 years and use that. Um, but you know in fairness they have they have to maintain a parking lot and a parking garage and lights and so on and so forth. But yes, uh, with all the money that's floating around, in the private sector, too, that, you know, couldn't you go out to Pepsi or, you know, somebody, a bank, and just say, we we need $10,000 to just, you know, put some landscaping in or chairs or turn it into a little mini park temporarily, not spending a lot of money since we know it's going to be developed. But it's been sitting vacant for an awfully long time. Uh, It it doesn't, I've seen more people um, take their dogs out for walks in that Parcel and then not pick up after them. i think this is a pretty disgusting. Um, the city really ought to address this. And that this is not, if it's going to be a dog park, designate as a dog park and put up signage. But, um, you know, it, yes, it's a green space for all the people that are g- getting all upset about a development saying, oh, no, we need more green space in Cleveland Heights. Well, what about Kane Park and what about around Shaker Lakes? There's plenty of green space. But um, d- just g- give the whole development some thought. That's all. And I think they're doing that. I think that this uh flannery is the name that comes to mind that's one of the partners in the developer who has been uh who who is the recommendation is to going to be to select that party i think that they uh you know their their reputation precedes them and it should be a very good project but yeah as to the existing parcel i you know depending on how how much further the delay is going to be for the development, if it's going to be another 24 months, then yeah, they should do something to clean it up. If it's going to be just six months before they break ground, then you know, let's not throw good money after bad.
0: Um, and I think one of the proposals at least includes some sort of green space there, yes, forward, right? So,
2: yes, uh, I agree.
0: But when you talk about a public private partnership, you know, you see it, I think one of your theaters is in Pittsburgh on the way to Pittsburgh, you see the right. Dick's Sporting Goods baseball, youth baseball complex on your way to Pittsburgh, right? So it's like, it's certainly doable in a way that's not invasive or sort of grotesque that may offend some of the sensibilities I think here in Cleveland Heights. But uh, I think a lot of people think about those types of arrangements and think, boy, uh, if we had an elected mayor, I mean, somebody that would crack the whip on some of this stuff Maybe that's the kind of thing that could get done. Did you take a? Did you have a position? Did you follow the movement to have an elected mayor in Cleveland Heights?
2: No, because I'm not a resident, and I realize that that's pretty a pretty lame excuse. I'm a person who operates a business whose business could be impacted by the results of the of, the, of an election. In fact, that you you probably know this because it's been reported and, and discussed that the. the there's, there are some people that are the, of the belief that the development project should be put on hold until uh, there is a mayor, just so, you know, if, if there, this is going to be handled properly, maybe the, the new mayor should weigh in. Um, and uh, I hadn't even thought about that, to be honest with you. And then when it was raised, I said, yeah, that makes sense to me. We're talking about a very relatively short period of time. But on the flip side, there, you know, in the world of development, as I understand, if you don't break ground by a certain point, it's going to push things back because weather delays certain things. Um, it's been vacant so long to you know hold off another year. Is that tragic? I don't know. Their concern is, well, will the developer pick up and walk? Uh, I don't know, but you know, if the developer really is. Um, hot to trot about this location. I think that maybe they, they will they built in some contingencies, but um, so, yeah, I think that the, the, the politics of, of Cleveland Heights probably will impact on uh, whether or not this project goes forward and uh, on what time schedule.
0: We have four candidates currently uh, in Cleveland Heights that have, uh, that seem serious. Uh, I don't know that anybody's taken a real firm stance on you know, and two of those candidates are on council now, and I don't think right. that they've tried to pull the reins back necessarily on, on development there. But um, when you think about, you know, 40 years of history of dealing with the city, did, was there ever a moment where you thought, boy, I wish I had one person that could move something for me? Like, are you, do you, is there any part of you that's excited about this change?
2: You know, I want to be careful what I say because I, throughout the 40 years, I have been the beneficiary of some um, generous help from people in, in city hall who are no longer there just because they've moved on. But you know, through various uh, neighborhood development type funding programs, was able to get some money, low interest loans to replace a marquee and put awnings up on the cedarly building. That was all very helpful. I mean, in the last, I'd say probably three to five years as all municipalities were really dealing with some difficult financial issues, they're less than forthcoming. When I see sometimes uh, how how money is uh, dispersed by the city, and um, you know we've had we of course selfishly would like some some things for our own improvements, it, it's it's a little frustrating. I I I, I don't think I have um, I don't have a good contact at at, at City Hall any longer that's not city hall's fault it's my fault for not reaching out there have been people that when you know i pick up a phone and call or you know send an email i get a response which is you know how it should be but you know i haven't gone there with hat in hand lately Um, although our financial needs are as serious as everyone else's in fact we i'm sure you know because it's been all in the news um we've been waiting anxiously uh desperately frankly for the SBA to get their act together to help distribute the 16 billion that's billion with a b dollars that's been earmarked for uh, motion picture theaters uh, live venues um, and museums across this country the legislation was signed December 27th according to my calendar we're now the middle of April and so the, I've seen good theaters file for bankruptcy because they can't wait while the government's getting their act together. Um, and as recently as a week ago today, uh, the application process was to open up. It was comp- when it completely screwed up, they pulled it offline and now we're waiting for them to, to, to fix this. Um, so, um, you know, we, we hope to hang in there, but I'm, I'm sorry, I got off on a, on a okay. tangent because it's, it's no, a really con- concern. Are, you're
0: not alone there. Like what, you know, what is Cleveland Heights without Kane Park and Obama and the Grog Shop? Yeah. And, and, and like, we're supposed to be the home of the arts, you know, like like we're all pulling for all of our venues to, to come through.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Cedar League District for, for a long time you know, if you walked up and down Lee Road on a Saturday night, um, it was very exciting because the theater would be busy, restaurants would be full, bars would be full. It was, it was kind of exciting. That dynamic doesn't exist currently. It's not going to return. I don't believe it will return in the remainder of this year, certainly, which is very frightening because we still have six months to go, or uh, but more than six months, but um, I have learned learn to do my math. Um, <laughs> But, um, and in fact, within the, the theater industry, the movie theater industry, speculation is 2022 may be a good year. And I'm thinking we've got to get to 2022. We've already lost all of 2020, and now we're in four months into 2021. And it's really hard for business to, to function with either no income or very limited income. So, um, you know, it's, you know, when this, I don't know how long you live in Cleveland, but when the Centrum Theater was operating on Coventry, um, they threatened to close and the city couldn't find money fast enough to help them out. And I'm thinking, so is that the card I have to play? Do I have to say we're going to close? Um, sorry. Thanks for all your help and see if they rise to the occasion. It's not the way I do business. I'd rather have a conversation with somebody and saying, we're really um, having so difficult to hear are, are, are there funds, you know, cities, um, across this country, as I understand it, the, the CARES Act were also supposed to receive some funding to, you know, use to take care of expenses because of lack of income during the the, you 40, million. the you 40 million yeah. supposedly coming,
0: yeah. forty
2: million. Wow. Well, I, I thanks for that number because I didn't know that. But and there are also states that got money. There are some states in this country that got money and they took it upon themselves to make to, to uh, provide grants to movie theaters based on the number of screens you have, having. You know, $10,000 per screen. Well, the Cedar if we got $60,000, it's a lot of money. We, it costs us a lot more to operate that theater annually than $60,000. But boy, would that help us, you know, give us a, a much needed cushion. You know, I don't know if, if what the city's plans are for the, for the money. I don't know what the state's plans are for their money. I know that DeWine is actually considering doing something for movie theaters I'm aware that there are restaurants that are struggling that may not reopen. So it's like, who's hurting more? So, or not only who's hurting more, whose business should they not reopen will have the greatest impact on the community. If the Cedar League was forced to close, I think that would be um, unfortunate for for the city and for people in greater Cleveland, not just the residents of Cleveland Heights. So, um, but it's, we're not, we're not there not there yet
0: <laughs> well yeah, you, but you you've managed dozen a dozen or so or 20 theaters in different yeah, we, we, cities, we, municipalities over the years and some of them have come and gone right like right. this one i would think is personal since it's your first right like the way go ahead and tell if you wouldn't mind it's really a an, in, an interesting story how you even came to own the cedar lake right like it, you were a young guy like you really took a chance on I, on that right
2: i'm i'm still i'm still a young guy no Although I mean, not like, a quote. Co- no you no no you're right. young
0: to own a movie theater yes
2: I, I was very fortunate because i had rented the cedar Lee theater from its then owner uh, a company called community properties that owned a number of theaters in cleveland community properties has long gone as have most of the theaters they own, but they uh, allowed me to rent the Cedar Theater for the first Cleveland International Film Festival, um, which was, a, I always have to qualify when I say it was a success. It was successful enough to pay all of the expenses associated with the festival without paying any individual, any money, everyone worked as a volunteer. Um, and that includes me. Uh, and after that, Community Properties let me know that uh, they were divesting themselves of all their theaters in Cleveland. The, owner whose name was Bert Lefkowitz, who I consider a mentor, he passed away about uh, five years ago, um, was, uh, I said I say this in a kind of way, he was a, a ruthless businessman, but he was very fair to me, charged, you know, fair rent, and the deal was he, he would negotiate a sale with me, and if I, any aspect of that sale fell through, he would, he reserved the right to take the theater back, and I figured and nothing to lose other than the money I put down on this thing and I didn't I don't come from a family with lots of money I don't have a trust fund I had some friends who loaned me money took over the Cedar Lee and we determined to make it work it was a single screen theater um, and then you know when, when twinning became or the theater division became popular we divided the big theater into two and some parcels next to the the theater became available and we you know slowly built into the built up this six screen. Theater complex and uh, it, it's been a, a great run. But yes, in addition to the Cedar Lee in, in Cleveland Heights, we operated the Center Mayfield Theater, a wonderful old uh, thousand-plus seat theater that we were you when when there was such thing as discount movies. We ran it as a, as a discount movie theater for ten years, and then the bottom fell out of that business because uh, uh, videotapes started to explode. Um, and that you couldn't survive.
0: And a blockbuster um, literally went in there.
2: Yeah, isn't that interesting? And now, by the way, if you drive past, that it's it completely demolished, there's know. nothing there. And, you know, but it's, and, and they're, but you're right, we've had plenty of theaters that we proudly operated that are no longer theaters. The World East Theater out in, in, in Richmond Heights and the, the Berea Theater in, in Berea gone, um, you know, it's you, things come up. The theater that we operated in Pittsburgh Closed because of the pandemic, and the owner there said, "Well, oh, we're not interested in reopening." And they've now uh, they, they they didn't torn it down. They are redeveloping it into a uh, into offices or some sort of you know entrepreneurial center, not unlike what they're doing at Tower City, another theater that we operated. And there again, the landlord was not um, interested in in keeping a theater there. All the action in fairness. were interested in having us continue to operate the theater if we paid all the expenses associated with improving that which was just not that's not wasn't realistic as a tenant to make a a a 20-year commitment without any help from from a landlord and putting in new seats and you know a bar and all the things that might have made tower city work and plus tower city is going through their own redevelopment with you know with there's a project that's been on the uh, on the uh, on the table for oh, two and a half, three years now with no, nothing has really changed there. I hope something good happens with downtown. You know, that's a vital part. You know, the Cleveland Film Festival probably would have remained there, but for COVID. And if if Bedrock had said, you know what? A theater is very important in our complex. We're gonna, we'd like to partner with you and we'll spend some money, you spend some money and turn this into this great state-of-the-art theater. but uh, it's in hindsight, it's probably a good thing they didn't do that because we would have had to shut down. And you know, they're expensive when you put in new seats, and um, it was tough. There's a big third theater circuit on the West Coast, ArcLight uh, Cinemas. Um, I, I'm very good friends with the, the CEO, um, and for these guys to announce that they are closing for good is absolutely incredible. And I, am you know. <laughs> what they spent to build their theaters is just exorbitant. I guess they figured, you know what, we're gonna take the hit and just walk away. Somebody will end up buying them some you know, Saudi Arabian prince with a lot of money or something will This is usually what happens, these things. But to me, that sends a very frightening message that you know, if big guys with very deep pockets can't survive, you know the little Johnny Foreman's of the, of the world. You know w- we have to make some tough decisions too. Um, but just circling back to your your questions about the, the developer, um, you know it would be great to be part of this discussion. You know, do, how might the theater benefit from this project? I mean, uh, yeah, you know, it's like what's in what's in it for me. Um, I would love to know that there's some way that the theater might. Be the beneficiary of whatever they're doing. So, I, I'm once a developer has been selected and once a plan is being um, uh, proposed and the city signs off on it, it would be uh, be great to have a conversation with the developer, not just the city. But you know, maybe the developer wants to, you know, have a covered walkway from the garage to uh, to Lee Road just to make it easier for people to get there. I mean, there, I think there are lots of opportunities and. Um, might even make their project more appealing. I think the guys at Boss Dog would be thrilled to know that there'd be some way that they could benefit from this, more, you know, put in, put in more bodies in their backyard. They have a place people can walk to, that'd be great. So we'll see.
0: I, I have to think in your, in, I, I, know you, I know you're a businessman and you're trying and you have responsibilities, but in your heart, you probably are hoping, right, that the Cedar Lee, that the Capitol and Gordon Square and the Chagrin Theater We'll have enough of a long, long-lasting uh, fan base and and support to, to continue on in some form, right? Isn't that your hope?
2: It, it absolutely is my hope, and it, for for lots of reasons, not the least of which is we still owe a lot of people a lot of money, and we need income to to pay down those debts. But um, those three theaters have each for different reasons play critical roles in their respective neighborhoods. Uh, you know, the, the Detroit Sherway community, um, you know, there's a, an organization that I th- think has done an incredible job developing or redeveloping that area. I'm sometimes shocked when I see uh, what condominiums and or homes sell for in that area. And they wouldn't have sold for, for anything close to that, those prices 10 plus years ago. Um, and the theater as, as difficult as business was pre-pandemic has really brought a lot of life to the that area, that and that, Cleveland Public Theater. And, you know, it's it's been a, a, a great run there. And we hope to come back. In fact, what many people don't know is during the pandemic, the, the um, Detroit Shoreway Group raised a bunch of money and they put in uh, those fancy reclining seats in the two upstairs theaters. So when people go back, they're going to be shocked at it. what a nice experience it's going to be it was always nice but they they were small theaters and cram seats now they've got you know the fancy recliners like many theaters have that'll be great and I think that they it'll really help to um, kickstart the redevelopment of all the businesses around there that have taken a hit I haven't spoken to you know restaurant operators but I know that you know other than whatever business they could do from for curbside, they've all suffered. You know, people were not going out and um, they're not, you're not gonna go sit at a bar and have a beer with somebody because uh, you're afraid who else is in that bar that may have COVID. So, you know, we'll see. But yes, those theaters are, we desperately want those theaters to come back and and breathe life into the theater as well as the community.
0: A Couple more questions, I'll let you go. Sure. Um, has COVID, um, is there some consensus about how COVID has affected sort of the production pipeline? Like are indie, the, indie filmmakers just sort of pushing stuff out and doing everything. They, like I saw the, um, the, 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 the Staten Island movie with a guy um, from Saturday night live. Uh, um, yeah, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't Adam Sandler. It was, oh. uh, um,
2: Oh, wait, I know. Tom, I'm confusing that with the, the other, like a movie that would
0: have been at the Cedar Lee. He was it was like yeah. a personal, like story. It was um, but they ended up pushing that straight out uh, to, you know, to the streaming services. So uh, do you know, like, like you're open for business right now, right? Are you able to find films to and, and what does business look like right now
2: for you? <laughs> um, good questions. Um, th- that's been the biggest problem there. The. the there are good films out there. Many of them have the distributors or filmmakers have chosen to release them on some streaming platform because they figured some money is better than no money. And if even making films available to theaters, there were too many theaters closed around this country. Um, so they couldn't get their money back. The, the, there are some very good films that have gone direct to streaming. It's been very frustrating to see stuff going to Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu which yes, you're correct, in the past would have played at the Cedar Lee Theater for in some cases, weeks and weeks, months.
0: Nomadland, um, that never made it to you.
2: Yeah, it? we actually played Nomadland yeah. and you could also see it at home. But, and that's the, that's the new normal for a lot of theaters. That's, you know, Mulan, Everyone made a big deal about this Disney film. And, and there are more films that are going this route, you know, uh, Wonder Woman. I mean, it's it's, it's what companies are doing um, and I think people are getting a little bit too comfortable doing this. You know, yeah. So you say, well, I got a sixty-inch TV, I got three kids, and you know, I can get a pizza and you know, save my. I already pay for Netflix and Hulu, so why would I go out to a movie theater and risk exposing my kids? Um, so I think a lot of people are, are doing that. I think that it's been a year. That you get tired of that after a while. You have to. It's nice to go out and be with people that aren't just your family and go out and see a movie that makes you laugh or cry. In a crowd, and get fresh popcorn, and do all those things that we all used to get pleasure. Of. Same thing. with look at look at sports? It's the same thing. Look at live entertainment, be it you know, uh, uh, playhouse square or you know, the Cleveland Orchestra. Uh, you know, people are anxious to go, but not anxious enough yet to uh, uh, to justify reopening because you need a lot of bodies to make this work. And you know, people. Some people are still you know we live in a, a strange time where you know everyone talked about herd immunity but we're less than a third of this country have been vaccinated and now there's concern that we may we not, may not even get to 50 percent because of people who have strong feelings about vaccines I personally think they're they're I think they're really fucked up and I'm really concerned about um, you know the, the willingness of some people to just say, I don't, I, I self, I'm going to make a sub decision to not get vaccinated. And, you know, if I get infected too bad, I mean, so it's, uh, I think it's going to pause, pause lots of, 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 growth and expansion. Let, let's see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that, you know, we get closer to herd immunity and I hope that people go back. But as I said, you know, I, the rest of this year is going to be a really tough year for, for movie theaters, A, a because of vaccines and B, because of what you just said, the, the lack of good product.
0: Um, and there's been a really great run recently of movies, great films made in Cleveland, right? Like you've got to be, I would think pretty astounded at the way that film production has blossomed in the region, right? I know the state tax credit uh, was the driver of that, but you've got the Cleveland State film program uh, is, is really robust and respected now. Uh, I, do you have any thoughts on just sort of like how you want to just have it all be arm in arm, I imagine, right? Like, you well, know, yeah, it's, made in it, Cleveland movies in the Cedar Lee would be fantastic.
2: Well, and and I, I guess I should mention that as bleak as business has been at the Cedar Lee, the one wonderful bright spot we had in the last few months was we showed Cherry, which was made by the Russo brothers mm-hmm. uh, with a, a you know large Cleveland crew and, and Cleveland base uh, acting and of course the Russos whose reputation has been just taken off the charts and we were really busy. I mean it was great to see more than 12 people going to a movie on a Saturday night. Um, Those are those experiences are few and far between but yes there there is more production going on in Cleveland. Um, You know the Cleveland Film Commission I think has done as effective a job as they are able given the challenges of doing any production during uh, COVID. Um, my daughter actually is in, uh, works in production, and her uh, working on a more stuff for television and film. But production all over this country uh, was shut down for the same reason that theaters were closed because the, the protocols to you know how you could work. I mean, you, masking and COVID testing, and and it's it's really difficult. Some productions managed to you know get made, um, and we'll see whether or not they are as good as those that were made w- without protocol. Um, we'll see, but um, that's... The, that's <laughs> something. something fell and that's what that is. Um, but something, um, the, uh, um, the some filmmakers have made um, small productions um, because you can do things like with your iPhone and, and those kind of things, and, and those films, I think belonging the Cleveland film festival, they're not gonna really play well in a, in a commercial theater. Um, but I give them credit for, for trying to do what they can do. So uh, we'll see. I've
0: got, I've got to admit I was, I had a whole, I had a question that it, it sort of breaks the Pittsburgh story breaks my heart a little bit as well, because I have, I look at Pittsburgh as sort of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a leader in some respects in terms of the things that they're willing to do as a city uh, and, that theater that closed was named the best theater in Pittsburgh, right? Yes,
2: yeah, so which is funny because they <laughs> we were pr- approached by some uh, you know alternative newspaper like like kind of like Scene um, l- l- just within the last few months notifying us that we were selected as the best theater in Pittsburgh. And I wanted to I wrote back and said, Do, "Is anyone doing homework there? It's been closed for a year. How could it be the best theater in, in a city when it hasn't been open and it's not it's it's gone." Um, But yes, and actually that theater was a wonderful theater. Um, They they did a great job uh, when they built it. Um, We had a a lot of uh, really cool events. We hosted the Pittsburgh Jewish Film Festival. We had premieres because as you know, you talk about the Cleveland uh, film production, Pittsburgh um, really was putting Cleveland to shame. They did a lot of local, I mean, production for big major motion pictures. Denzel Washington shot a picture there. Tom Cruise shot a picture there. Um, and by the way, these guys came to the theater to see their films, which is really kind of neat. Um, so we we did put the, the theater on the map. And uh, but I, you know, listen, I respect a, a, a landlord who says, you know, what, I can make more money doing something else. And that this is we live in a world where sometimes it's all about the money. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then.
0: As someone like me who plans on being here for another 25 years in cleveland heights you know to sort of circle back to to why we have yeah. you today you know uh most of us are really take a put a personal stake in your in the survival of the cedar lee and i hope that um you know if the city I hope the city continues to work with you um in whatever way we can so i any final thoughts that you have on on hopes but the, you know, anything to the citizens of Cleveland Heights that are gonna check this out that you'd like to say? Yeah, well,
2: I, well putting, setting aside the, 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 the discussion about the, what's gonna happen uh, with the development behind the theater, we just want people to come back. Um, you know, the, 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 the theater needs people for it to survive. We, it, it's one thing, you know, it's funny when we closed the Center Mayfield Theater, um, somebody came to one of our last showings and he said, I can't believe you're closing. I can't believe this is my favorite theater. And I said, when was, when we, what did you hear? See here last? He said, well, I haven't been here in five years. And I said, well, that's why we're closing. So if people say, oh, the Seagull is such an important theater, but they're staying home and watching stuff on, on YouTube or on Netflix, we're not going to be there. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. Either you have to, you know, put up or shut up, come to the theater. It's safe. we Play the game, same game that all the theaters in this country are playing. We subscribe to this program called Cinema Safe, which makes sure that there's social distancing and all staff and customers were wearing masks and we wipe down and do all the things that everyone's grown used to. Um, so we just need people to come back. I understand that I'm not going to go to a theater unless there's a movie there that I want to see. but. Yeah, we did show Nomadland, and and so get up off your couch and don't watch it on Netflix or Amazon, wherever it was. Go see it in a movie theater. It's and by there was a critic out in the West Coast who saw Nomadland on whatever streaming service was available, and then after he and his wife got their vaccines, they went off the, to the theater and said it was a whole different movie experience. Of course, it's beautifully shot, um, and you, you know to see it on a I don't care if you have a 16 inch, 60 inch television, or you're watching it on your laptop. It's not the same when you go and see it on a, you know, 25 foot or larger screen with great sound. And so I, I we have to remind people going to the movies is, um, it's a wonderful experience. And by the way, it is the least expensive out of home experiences you can enjoy. You can go to a baseball game and you're going to spend an awful lot of money. Same thing going to Cleveland orchestra. If you go to a movie theater, you know, Yes, popcorn is overpriced and soft drinks overpriced, but you're, you're not going to be spending a hundred dollars or more unless you're going with a large group of people. Um, it's it's a great form of entertainment that's still affordable for most people.
0: Are you still giving away the free popcorn for the with your Vax card? Is that continuing? Yes, we are
2: okay. until until the end of April. Yep. End of April. And that's been doing very well, by the way. Although right. I said, not, not to be political, but I will tell you that leave it to Cleveland Heights some Yahoo wrote said, "Oh, great! So you tell me because I didn't take an unproven vaccine that I don't get free popcorn. I'm never coming to your theater again." So I said, <laughs> "You know what? Fine. Then don't." And by the way, you should get vaccinated. So,
0: um, well, thank you for joining us uh, sure. on uh, the podcast, and um, you know, continued success.
2: I appreciate. it. Thanks very much, and I, I appreciate your your. Questions and your interest, and I just hope that uh, people listen and/or watch and uh, take it upon themselves to go back to the movies.
0: Eric Silverman now joins us. Eric, I, uh, the conversation with Jonathan Foreman was fascinating, and talking about the future of of his industry and how central it is to Lee Meadowbrook um, was really interesting. And I hope that um, that the in the the businesses on Lee Road are considered and and consulted uh, as as whichever development ends up happening at Lee Meadowbrook um, I hope that they're involved um, so we'll consider this Eric our uh, our, our post um, interview um, media roundtable if this is meet the press so uh, this is your chance you know I know that this is a, a topic you feel really passionate about is architecture uh, you're a um, charter member of the architecture police department here in Cleveland Heights and and uh, you know, and, and your, your viewpoints on this topic come from a real deep sense of history, right? Like, why is this something you feel so passionately about?
1: Well, uh, because this is something that has been going on for 20 years, in effect. And I recall uh, the, when Keith Benjamin still worked for the city of Cleveland Heights at City Hall, and I'd pop in every once in a while, talk with him. There was a gas station uh, on the south, the southern portion of the site. Historically, there was a gas station in the north end, a couple, one or two homes in the middle, and then a gas station at the bottom. Uh, the, the gas station in the north and the home in the middle became the Ohio Savings Branch, and then there was a gas station uh, on the south, uh, the southern portion. That was closing, and I remember saying to Keith, and I'm not, I know I wasn't the impetus, but I go, Keith, the city should buy that because there's no way that anyone else is going to buy an old gas station built on a culvert. And I've watched this multiple times. I have a bit of information in regard to the city's behavior, the city's interaction with the school board back in 2010, 2012 for the second or third go around. Um, They didn't come to us during my my time on the board. Um, I've long felt that this is a great site for infill development in Cleveland Heights, uh, where I have been exasperated by would be a combination of the the city's actions uh as well as then their interactions with the board of education um whereas you know we've had conversations on 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 the phone in regard to development issues in in building the tax base at Cleveland Heights
0: right so why why is the explain to the average resident who might not understand why is the board of education even relevant in this conversation? Why Why are we even talking about the Board of Education?
1: Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. And then of course my, my frame of reference, you know, goes back 20 years. So the mechanics of the laws may have changed in details, but pretty much historically, there's a couple of components. If we step back, House Bill 920 from the 1970s caps the amount of money that uh, property taxes that go to a taxing entity like library, to school board. So basically, If your taxes go, if you don't vote for a school levy and your taxes go up, property taxes, that's because, that's going, doesn't go to the schools or the library, it's going to a different taxing entity. If a school levy passes and it raises your tax bill $100, it's $100 ad infinitum. It does not go up. Therefore, school districts have to come back at different rates of time. Um, We are an entering suburb, we're built out, Uh, we have no industry. So we have very limited options for growing our tax base. Um, now, in regard to tax abatement and TIFs and others, new mechanisms, the city's implemented. A lot of times when we we'll call it TIF, a tax increment financing, in that situation, the taxpayer, the development company, what have you, they would pay all or part, part some fraction of the taxes would go, instead of them going to who would collect it, it goes towards a bond for some sort of improvement. Um, so they, they technically, so basically what they're doing is they're taking an annual cost of taxes and they're using that to finance what would have been probably an upfront cost, say a parking garage. Um, typically, and again, I'm not a uh, tax attorney on this, but in the past, if the, if the city wanted to do something above a certain amount, say 50%, and for a, a longer period of time, they would have to get the board of education to sign off on it. Uh, the notorious Kaufman's project at uh University in University Heights that was a 30 year 100% tip. The board of Ed had to sign off on that. Uh, for recently, the Top of the Hill project, the board of education had to sign off on that. Um, so but the flip side is that there's a, if it's a smaller amount or a shorter time period, the, the, the city council can ignore the board of education. And to be honest, in the late. 90s, early 2000s, they frequently did stuff without even saying, hey, Board of Education, did you know that we were doing this? Um, To me, the Leah Meadowbrook site is an ideal site for an infill project. And I'm also passionate about us building up our tax base so that we can reduce either the frequency of school levies or the millage amounts. So in my perspective, any opportunity we have, I shouldn't say any, but the majority of opportunities we have to enhance our tax base is in our benefit. Um, so I take, I'm a very, very skeptical, dubious of tax abatement that is above 50%. And because I think then it doesn't generate revenue for the public schools, which we all realize we, we have to do. We can say, hey, be, we need to change the laws. Well, that's great. But I got I what's happening next one, two or three years.
0: It's in everyone's interest to maximize value. Exactly, like is what you're saying, essentially, right? That well, we want to reduce the frequency and millage involved in our school levies. You know, we need to squeeze money everywhere we can. I get that. So, so the uh, the current debate in, in a lot of people's minds, I think, centers around: Do we want development at Lee and Meadowbrook? to fill that entire site that right now looks like a nice open space with a lot of potential, maybe as a green space as well. Um, and I know that you really, you don't, you're not for any park necessarily in that space. Are you for like the Flaherty and Collins, we'll get to the exact description in a minute, but are you for any park in
1: that space? Well, I I, my, my I, I would, I would. there's a couple components. The first one would be, the City Cleveland Heights doesn't do a good enough job maintaining its current parks. Um, I would also say, because I remember when I was a, when I had a fuller head of hair and was a thinner young man on the school board in the early '90s, saying to a member of council, "Hey, when the city of Clevelandites had a significant carryover, hey, it would be great if you guys, I don't know, spent some money on our playgrounds and planted trees on our our school, our, our school sites," um, and I had a whole plan for how to do it over five years and that kind of thing. And this woman, this councilwoman, said, "Well, why do we do that?" You know this shocking idea of why would the city invest money in these school facilities, which are used by the entire community as parks and recreation facilities. So to me, I would think that before we add additional parks to what we have to maintain, that we should be examining how can the city work in partner with the schools to improve those facilities um, not to mention improve that. I know you'd mentioned you know idea of a dog park. I, your idea of the what used to be the, between Kane Park and Cumberland that that sort of elbow space. I thought that was a brilliant idea, and I think that if we go back to and I know, see the year exactly the two thousand I think the 2008 Cedar Lee Streetscape Plan. Because you had mentioned food trucks. If you look at that the 2008 Streetscape Plan, there was the idea there's a parking lot, about like eight to 10 spaces on the opposite side of the street from Liam Meadowbrook. In my opinion, and it was exactly what the streetscape plan said, I think that would be an ideal location to do a small park with tables, benches. There's already a curb cut you could have as a paved space where you could have food trucks pull up. So in my opinion, that small parking lot, like the, the streetscape plan said, Convert that to the park. Um, the flowering and Collins proposal, in my opinion, what they're doing. There's two things they're doing. One. Apparently, there's a, an easement, a utility easement that bisects the property along the, the property, the parcel lots. That was allegedly one of the reasons why a previous development didn't go through. I suspect they're. Little pocket park that they're proposing isn't because they don't want to make money. It's because they're trying to thread the needle of oh, folks want a park, we'll give them a park, and that way we don't have to try to reroute the utility lines. Or even it's just it's more of an easement, I think. Okay. Um, I my feeling is that I prefer I, I would go back to in my opinion the terraces on Lee proposal, which was the the one that the city really signed off on and built the parking garage for in two thousand eight. That schematic, is sort of a wedge-shaped building, which is what um, the other firm that didn't get picked, what they were doing a riff on that. I think that's a, a better proposal because it it gets us ostensibly more units. I think the Florida and Collins proposal. And we can get into the details of that. I think that you're better to put the the, um, the units on the on the on the, the, the between Tallamore and, and Meadowbrook than you are to scatter it all around, wrapping around the parking garage, which is just beyond stupid so I'm not, I'm not i'm not like oh my god i don't want to park i'm just i i would say if the the if the, ha- the, if the compromise is okay the, the sliver of a park fine so be it but like i said i go back to my other point secretly nice does a crappy job maintaining their current parks okay um they have a with all due respect i mean you got priorities we the pandemic what have you but i remember when we were opening up the high school and i'm walking through the parking lot behind at, at cedar and lee and if you look at it now, and this goes to another infrastructure in general, are areas that draw folks to Cleveland Heights from outside of our region. Those should be spick and span. They should be clean as a whistle. Every the, the paint shouldn't look rusty and nasty. And I remember we're opening up the high school and I'm looking at this parking garage in the parking lot. I'm like, what a disgrace. Because you got folks coming to the Heights, coming to the Cedar Lee Theater. And it looks like crap. We should be focusing on... on and let's spend a little money on maintenance before we take on more maintenance obligations, would be the way I would put it.
0: Well, I'm more of the mind that if you look towards the way the world is gonna move, people are gonna wanna eat outdoors and having a versatile space that is open air there uh, that can be used for all kinds of things, uh, a central gathering spot on the road that um, people will use just to have a cup of coffee, to meet with friends, uh, to take takeout to I think um, and I think it's possible I have more faith that the city can can keep it clean and, and up to your standards uh, than you do maybe but wow. <laughs> I, I feel like that I feel like a park there is it's a huge mistake to just cram as many apartment units and uh, in the in onto that property uh, when especially you're going to be building out the the parking lot
1: well that's uh, that, to that okay. that's, that's that's a big presumption because, like I said, I think, in this, I don't. You, whenever you want to get into the the meat and potatoes of it, the- well, here's
0: the details right now. So, uh, as of where are we at? End of April, um, end of April, twenty twenty one. The city there were two proposals in early twenty twenty one. One from Flaherty and Collins, along with City Architecture, and Flaherty and Collins is the company that's doing top of the hill. Uh, their proposal is 200-ish new apartments, and they'll utilize the entire 4.8 acres, which includes the parking lots behind the Cedar Lee, wrapping around uh, to the mo- the Meadowbrook and Lee property as well.
1: Uh, let me, I want to let me interrupt you real quick on that. They received two proposals. One of those two proposals, and let's let's step back and analyze this. The City of Cleveland Heights, one of the one of the rationales for the mediocrity of Top of the Hill was that we needed to have something that said to the public or to the development community, Cleveland Heights is open for business. We wanna work with you. The city of Cleveland Heights owns the land outright at Lea They have multiple tax incentives they have there. The parking garage already exists. They were only able to get a whopping two submissions. One was the warmed over version of the other development that got sort of waylaid because of COVID and flattery and Collins, So this would sort of undermine the premise that the top of the hill was gonna be this catalyst for development in the Heights. So I, I just, I, I just wanna point that out because I find it really, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult to buy that these folks know what they're doing when this is all they get. Basically, a warmed-over version that couldn't happen, which is actually a version of a previous concept from ten years ago, which actually I do agree with. And the developer who got who got the land, the garage paid for with tax abatement, and one point eight five million dollars for top of the hill. So Flurry and Collins knows, hey, Cleveland Heights, those, these guys will give us whatever we want. And those are the only two only two people who are willing to put a a, pro, a proposal in. Uh, I do think you've got
0: some people at city architecture who care about Cleveland Heights, right? And there's a history in that, in that you may not agree with their design, design aesthetics, but there are people in that company that do have a passion for, you know, building Cleveland
1: uh, Heights out. I would, I would like to, this is, this is why I get my reputation of irritating people because I pay attention to details. Sitting at, I, I sat through numerous top of the hill people meetings. The overwhelming majority of folks who spoke on top of the Hill did not care for multiple elements. The only architect, I should say, one of the, one, I shouldn't say the, one of the only architects who spoke in favor of the proposal of top of the Hill just happens to be a principal at city architecture. So, you know, what a surprise that the, the top, the Flaring Collins decided, let's hire, a local firm who spoke nice of our project. I, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a more of a vetting process than that, but as an outsider, yeah, you know, it looks, uh, you know. I'm not- I'm, a talking about the, his, I'm talking about the founder,
0: like at my understanding, not just the current principles, but I'm talking about the founder. Wasn't Volpe, wasn't he the founder
1: of City Architecture? I, believe, I, I think, I know, I, I, not, I, know the, I don't know if he was the founder, I know it was his, I believe he. it was his firm. He, he was the key there. And I, I, hey, I like Volpe stuff. I mean, some, he had some designs I really like. I mean, it's not my uh, design aesthetic, but some of them, I think he did the townhouses on Edge Hill leading into Little Italy. The first, the, the large swath, not the, the smaller one. It's not my school design, but I like that. Build. It looks cool. It's got a cool mid-century Usonian vibe. I like it. It's not my taste, but I like it.
0: I mean, if we get a third of an acre, as uh, the Fleury and Collins, proposal also includes a third acre park i mean again i think well, let's, well, it, well it seems like everybody gets what they want to some degree
1: well well except for one well here's the thing here's the problem with and i i sent an email to city council i got no response from council members i did get a reply from uh the new planning director but i, I asked questions like hey do you have a market study you know, there's, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, an infill project from Tremont to Lakewood to downtown to everywhere. Yeah. Are we reaching a saturation point? Is this, where's where's the market study? There was one for top of the hill. Um, so it's like, okay, where's the, where's, you know, do you have that? Then it was also, hey, um, more importantly, where's the parking study? And the reason why, let me go, this is the problem I have, the real problem I have the flaring cause before we get to the finances. They're talking that they were gonna bring around between the, the residential units and the uh, retail component about 300 to 350 p- people working there, working and living. Which by my math, if only 75% have a vehicle. When I did the math, I take a look at the parking garage, the lower level's not used, you put that into play. They wanna use up the entirety of the parking lot, the surface lot, just have this new street back there. The enti- on, if we assume the number of vehicles you, you have to have a dedicated parking space because they're also saying we're appealing to a luxury market, six-figure income. If I got a six-figure income, they're gonna have at least one, ha- they got at least one car. The problem is when I get due to do the math, there's only 150 spaces behind the Cedar Lee Theater and business district to accommodate the restaurants and businesses there. As I asked the city council, hey, have you seen a parking study? Because to me, it's beyond stupid to move forward without having a modicum of information. As I was on the school board and I signed off on that, I, the first, I I'd like, where's the parking study? Where's your market study? There is, the, the city council is doing, continuing to do stake driving like in the Robert Moses way. We'll keep moving the ball along moving the goalposts along, because then it'll be too late for people to stop. The you know, To me, I'm a little dubious that someone wants to spend someone who, a luxury apartment where your view is the drive through at Wendy's, call me old fashioned, not to mention the fact that I'm across from a high school. Yeah. Um, I think that reducing the amount of un- unassigned parking spaces for the entirety of that area from what it is currently To 150, you're talking about the movie theater. I mean, that you, the movie theater, I think the smallest screening rooms seat more than 150 people. And there's six screens there. And there's the brewery. And there's the restaurants there. I think it is folly for the city to move forward without the modicum of of a parking study before we even talk about the finances. Because here's the thing, too the city spent money to buy those three homes on Tullamore. And I'm sure they bought the gas station. I think the Ohio Savings property may have been signed over to them. I don't know. Now the flip side is is that more likely than not, in a couple of years, they would recoup from new income taxes. They would recoup the cost of that. But the developer wants the land ostensibly for free. Again, um, and they said in their proposal, I asked the city of Cleveland Heights. I'm um, paid seventy whatever of the proposal from Larry and Collins. It says we don't. We'll pay our property taxes. But we'll need a TIF, but they don't say what the TIF is for. Now a TIF, as we saw at the Coffins project or top of the hill, TIF is usually for like a parking garage, or other, let's say, improvements, public improvements. Parking garage is already there. What the hell you need a TIF for? And if you start to game out the numbers on a TIF too, they were saying 1.5 million. Okay. Well, if the TIF's a quarter of a million dollars, then it's a 30-year TIF. You start doing the math, for, you, know, you're, you're, you, you start adding the math up. That's a lot of money, even a quarter of a million a year, only a quarter of a million a year. Over 30 years, what's that? That's uh, 7.5 million. Let's assume a third of that's for uh, the cost of interest. That's $5 million. What's the $5 million improvement? You got the garage for free and the land for free. What the hell more else do you need? That's, that's, that's where I get, you know, I can guarantee you it's gonna be more than a quarter million dollars and they apparently need the Board of Ed to sign off. So that means they're probably going for a 30, they're probably going for a 30 year tip more than at least a 30 year tip. So the question I pose is, is what's it going for? To me, I have, I'm really have problems with city council signing off on stuff when they don't, they can't answer, well, they don't respond to me but apparently they don't respond to anybody. But you know, that's just ridiculous yeah so i'm not
0: someone who's as concerned about parking i feel like if you have a type of place that's going to draw people long term you know if you look at the next 20 years if you have a place that's going to draw people in they're going to figure out a way to get there and to utilize your stuff like i the think about the most fun attractive places that people want to go and spend their money like it's not over. It's not an, an overabundance of parking. So I feel like sometimes we get hung up on parking, like West Twenty Fifth. Like you've you've got some big surface lots there uh, in the back. Uh, right. yeah. you, do, you do, but like you know, it's still a pain to deal with those lots in many in many cases.
1: But they're um, but here's the, but they're there. You yeah. see, that's the problem. The problem is that again, if. I, I hear what you're saying and it's the, the, the problem you have is that you're going from right now we have an excess of parking i will readily admit that we have an excess of parking because we built a parking garage for a development that didn't occur the flip side is is that i have no problem if you go back to the terraces on lead proposal which also i might add if i'm reading the blueprints right was a steel frame building as opposed to i would guarantee you this is going to be you know, the, the developer special of a concrete pedestal with a wood frame above it, which we can debate the the quality of, of that as a, a building methodology. The, the problem we have here is we have a high school across the street, which attracts folks. It only has 200, if memory serves, there's 210 parking spaces there. We have, a, it has a thousand seat auditorium, 1,500 seat for the football stadium, if we're talking a Friday night when there's a football game going on, you know, you're just, you're creating, what is Cleveland Heights known for? One of the things is you come to your car and you got to pay the goddamn, you got to pay the, the goddamn parking meters and maybe you get a ticket as well. So if, if we're already known for overzealous parking regulation enforcement and speeding tickets, and now I can't find a parking space. Well, you're, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't, if, if we break the compromise, in my opinion, the compromise would be more of, you build the project at Lee and Meadowbrook. The real, the way, if you're gonna develop the area behind the, par- the parking garage, it, you go back to the, 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 both the 2008 study, this Cleveland State study from 2016 or 17, you go from where Arthur Treacher's used to be, in my opinion, as far as Wendy's or you know, to Wendy's, that should be a multi-story building fronting Cedar Road. That is where you put your other development project, not on the surface parking lot. That's the way it should be done. But you know they're not doing that because they'd have to spend some money to buy land. In the city, of Cleveland Heights is saying, "Hey, you know, it's like a it's a Seinfeld bit where it's a, the the poor pathetic kid who wants you to play with my toys because I need friends." I mean, they're just giving it away because they're so sad and pathetic and they can't make anything happen.
0: So, you are for development, though. Hell yeah, but right. not, but I'm not, but not giving it away. But you'd rather it stay as is until someone comes to the table. Willing to, to not well, ask, not to not come with their their pockets turned out. Essentially, they'll. Well, you want to keep. We've waited this long, like.
1: Well, let me put it this way. As, as I've said to you before, and I think it was in the on the Cobb interview, I have no problem with a fit Let me put it this way. Fifty percent abatement for thirty years, is a good deal, and it's much better than hundred percent for hundred percent for fifteen years because that's a sugar high. And more importantly, back 100% for 15 years, really, we're talking like a single family home or a condominium, that zings that second or third buyer because then they're gonna go from zero to 100. You're better off to go to 50% for a long period of time because then we're all put have skin in the game. Basically, that's the fundamental flaw with the city's infill project beyond the premise that you're going to, people are gonna buy a quarter million dollar home uh, in areas where you tore down a house. That's why you should call it stupid too. But the thing is, is that you shouldn't, if you give somebody hundred percent abatement, all you're doing is spreading the expenses on everybody else. That means your taxes, I'm pointing to you on the screen, your taxes are now underwriting somebody else to buy a house that's being abated and they got the land for free. In my opinion, the best case scenario for Cedar Lee, and my compromise would be, my compromise position would be, okay, because of the, the, the silly easement, who knows what that's going to be. The gas station parcel, that becomes a pocket park. We do the same thing on the other side of the street. So you got two parker parks there. You build your, your building on the site of uh, the rest of the Cedar Lee, the, the, the Leon Meadowbrook parcel. You build a long le- Cedar Road. You spend a little more time. You do a phase because you got it takes some time to negotiate. You do that on Cedar Road, and you do a 50% for 30 years.
0: And a bridge to connect the two pocket parks, right? Like uh, a library and, and- Having
1: served on the library board, I know bridges <laughs> are- uh, <laughs> Well, that's where your tith, all your TIF money will go. There you pay. go, improvement. There's your improvement. Exactly. Or a tunnel. Oh. How about we do a tunnel this time? Well, this- <laughs> Well, the city of Cleveland was, you know, spent, t- how much money did they spend to connect the two parts of the inner Harbor? Cause people can't walk all the way around it. They got to spend all the money. Yeah. Something like that. Well, hey, like- Eric,
0: um, Eric, we got to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts that, uh, on this project that you really think need to be made in terms of, I mean, it, we'll, we're going to revisit this, you know, it's like one of those things that it changes monthly. So what, what do you think moving forward? We need to be talking about.
1: I think we have to be talking about this as a tax policy. The problem I have is that the city of Cleveland Heights does not give a rat's ass about building the tax revenue for the school system. They don't, this is emblematic of it. They view, they view the schools as an impediment for them to have photo ops for ribbon cutting. And it pisses me off because I've seen it time and time and time again and we can, everyone bemoans taxes or we should go have a coffee clatch and read a book about how we should change school funding. In the meantime, why aren't we holding the council's feet to the fire and saying, hey guys, stop with 100% abatement. People's taxes, people's property taxes are very high. People on your street, they always vote for school levies. But guess what? Demington is not how this district is. We need to be building our tax base and you're not gonna build your tax base with 100% abatement. Thank you, sir.
0: you appreciate it and um, we'll catch you next time